0: Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like a precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mounts of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for directing us here, bringing us to this place, letting us know that you are our God, that you love us, and you pursue us. We pray that the words that are said today will be your words, that those words that are not yours, that they will fade away, but those that are will take root in our heart, in our spirits, in our minds, that they will bear fruit, to bring you glory, to enable us to enjoy you and enjoy each other. We thank you for David who wrote this psalm. We thank you for the Psalms of Ascent, these songs that the Israelite nation sang as they moved up to Jerusalem for worship. We thank you for them guiding us in our worship, in our understanding of who you are and who you've made us to be. We thank you for being our God and making us your people. Hold us there, Father. Jesus, amen. In 1999, there was a referendum for the Australian Constitution. They wanted to have a preamble rewritten for the Constitution in 1999. And John Howard, who was then Prime Minister, offered a version of a preamble. And so there were going to be two that were going to be voted on. And in that, John Howard wanted to make sure that mateship or the idea of mateship was present in the preamble of the Constitution. And so he would talk about mateship and how important mateship was and what it meant. Now, interestingly enough, that preamble did not pass. There were those people that heard him saying those things and thought that it was a bit blokish that. It reminded them of pubs and of inequality and uh, how it didn't care for women as much when they heard the term mateship. There were others who didn't vote for it because they looked at it and said, John Howard, you could never be a mate to anyone. Where are you coming from? And why would you think that you understand what mateship is anyway? And then there were those who supported him. There's a new book that came out actually last year that talks about how John Howard took mateship and created a, a, a far-right, is the way that he, this book describes it, movement in politics and sort of redefined for Australia what mateship was. And made it sort of more about not caring for people and about just the stance of being a man's man. At least that's how this author puts it. And when you think about the history of mateship in Australia, I just need to let you know that I don't understand it all the way because I'm not from here. We don't talk about mateship in the States that often. And so when when we knew that we were coming to Australia, I began to study mateship and what it meant and what people thought about it. So I'll let you know that there's various histories of how mateship got sort of ingrained into the ethos and movement of Australia. One of the things is that they believe that that's how convicts talk to one another when they first landed, that they would call each other mate. And then in order to sort of bring down the guards to their level as they begin to refer to them as mates as well. Sort of breaking that isolation, that wall that separated them. But they weren't doing it in a way of sort of gregarious, sort of bringing them in. It was more of belittling them. Oh, you're just like us, mate. Some believe that it comes from Gallipoli and that idea of caring for your brother, fighting at arms against all odds. And some look at it and just say, well, it really is about the ethos of a fair go for all. That everybody is everybody else's mates. That it breaks down the walls of exclusion that says, no, we're all in this together. And we want to give a fair go for all. Oftentimes it feels like a throwaway, really. Right? You walk down the street and you bump into somebody. Oh, that's all right, mate. Yeah, you don't even know who I am. How do you know I'm your mate? It just becomes a greeting, a way to say hello. Sometimes it's exclusionary. I I saw a cartoon in in one of the books that I was reading about mateship, that a guy that is begging says, hey, can you spare spare some money, mate? And the other gentleman says, not right now, mate. (laughs) Well, if you were mates, you might spare some money (laughs) and care for him. The reality is is that mateship in Australia, and actually around the world, there were those, whenever John Howard was trying to push this idea of mateship in the preamble, that said mateship is not Australian. (laughs) That The world actually understands the idea of being friends and caring for one another. And that's true, because at the heart of mateship is this, a desire to be connected, a desire to have trust, a desire to have somebody that will help you no matter what. Somebody who will come alongside of you, be with you, walk with you, who won't dob you in if you get in trouble. (laughs) And so when we come to Psalm 133, we see this unfolding of what true mateship is and what glory and majesty it brings about. Let's read it again. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. And when we hear that and we think of them singing about it going forward, and we think of David actually probably writing this at a time where there have been some enemies that were fighting against him, and instead of going to battle with them, they came together by the power of God, and they both conceded their side and joined together in unity. When we see that taking place, we look at it, and we hear the song of it, and we go, yes, how beautiful it is. When I was a kid growing up, I don't know if it was because they wanted boys to be, feel okay with playing with dolls, but there was a doll that they had called My Buddy. And, they, and the song was, My Buddy, My Buddy, My Buddy and me, wherever I go. He goes. (laughs) That's right, and you're going to go. Andy and I both had my buddy dolls, apparently. The thing about it was, it was this desire to have somebody that was with you, that was for you, that was your buddy. And we have this instinct among us that we want to push in and we celebrate when we see people who are together in unity. Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers and sisters are in unity. Eugene Peterson, in his book about this psalm, says it is, though, one of the hardest things to have happen. That oftentimes we fight against community very easily. We do one of two things, he says. One is that we either belittle the person, we disdain them, we don't see them as valuable, or we see people as objects of efficiency, things to get things done, not people. So it happens where we either push them away or we bring them in so that we can be a better, smoother running organization or community. He says this, it's easier to do almost anything else than to live in community it is far easier to deal with people as problems to be solved than to have anything to do with them in community. See, if we can look at somebody and go, well, if I just help them out here, they'll be better. (laughs) As opposed to going, no matter what they've done and where they're at and how broken they are, I'm just as broken. How do I step into that place? This psalm, when it says how beautiful how good and pleasant is it when brothers dwell together, is saying this, that we need a place where a person is taken seriously, where they learn to trust one another, where they are open to one another, where they can be compassionate with one another, where they can rejoice with one another. another way, we need a place where you can belong before you believe. We need a place where you can be known and understood and love. And where you can love and understand and know those that are around you. But it is hard for us to move into that place. Because oftentimes we stand at a place of against and not for. By thinking they're a problem that needs to be solved, by thinking they might be underneath us by thinking that if I can just get them to do these things, then we'll be much more efficient in our relationship, i.e. doing the things that I want to get done and accomplished. But this psalm pushes in and says, no, no, our relationships, our community, the unity that we have as brothers and sisters, those who are created by God, is far bigger, brighter, and more wonderful than that. As a matter of fact, it brings us a sacredness It brings us refreshment and growth, and it comes out of abundance. So in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about the difference of being against and for, because we want to be a people that are for, not against. But this sort of psalm sets a little bit of foundation for us. So let's look at the sacredness of this. Notice in verse 2, it says this, It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. That's an allusion back to when Aaron is set aside as the priest for Israel, where he's ordained and oil is put on his head to show that he is chosen by God to bring forth these priestly activities, which means I go before God for the people of Israel. what God has called this brotherhood, this sisterhood, this community, this unity we have. He says that it is sacred. He reminds us, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer did in his book, Life Together. Now understand, Life Together is written in prison, in Nazi concentration camp. He's away from everybody else. And he writes a book entitled Life Together. Unpowered. For us, what it means to live in community and unity in Christ. And he says this that the Christ in our own heart is weaker than the Christ in the words of our brothers and sisters. The reality is that we mediate, we step into the mystery of God for each other over and over again. That's the reason why the unity that God calls us to is sacred. It's just like the oil that anoints Aaron. God gave us this relationship because he wants us to be able to show God to each other. Not even that, he wants us to be so much more. Listen, there are times in our lives where it is hard for our faith to be enough. It's hard for us to step back and look at what's going on around us in our personal life or even in the world in general and think to ourselves, God can't possibly be involved. We run to that place. And if we were left to ourselves in that place, we would fall. We would be undone. We would be crushed. But God, knowing that, brings us together in unity in order to be able to say to one another, my faith Is sufficient for you while you are struggling and trusting God today allow the trust that I have in him to pour over you to cover you to let you know that because we've been brought together in unity my faith is sufficient for you see because our relationship with God is never individual it is always with one another he's brought us together to be the oil poured out as an ordination for each other. And so we are sacred. We are sacred beings to one another when we are joined together in unity. So it's easy then to sing, how good and pleasant is it for us to be together. The second thing that it brings is refreshment and growth. How do we see that? It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. Hermon was one of the largest mountain peaks there was and the dew would be heavy that comes up on top of it because it's one of the highest mountain peaks and that dew would rest and it would build up and it would flow down into the barren Palestine desert and it would give it growth and energy and newness it's water on barrenness not only that it gave us a sense of anticipation There's something that's going to happen. Because that dew has fallen, new life will spring up. Something will happen. And so that we know that in our relationships together, in unity, that we can bring refreshment and growth to each other. That we step into each other's hard places to bring comfort when there needs to be comfort, to bring tear when there needs to be tear, to bring celebration when there needs to be celebration that we can stand up next to somebody and we can sit down. We can hold. And it brings refreshment and growth. But the other thing that it causes us to do is to look at each other with an anticipation that something is going to happen. Have you had a relationship where it just seems in a rut? Like it just keeps going the same way, always the same way, I see them, I say hi, they say hi, we move on. Hopefully it's not the one that's in your house with you if you're married. We don't anticipate anything. We just assume it, this is the way it is. True unity. Unity that comes in this place where we can go, it is good and pleasant when we are together in unity, is one that anticipates that God is actually doing stuff in people's lives. That there will be change, that there will be movement, that there will be growth. That they aren't stuck where they're at. And that, by the grace of God, I'm not stuck where I'm at either. It causes us to be able to turn inside for a moment to go, where is it that I'm stuck? Where is it that I'm the one who's not anticipating growth in my own life? Because oftentimes, the things that we project on people are our very deepest fears. See, we look at somebody and we think they'll never change. They'll always be that way. Well, partly that's because we know we probably won't change and we'll always be the way that we are. And it scares us. And so we project it out because it's much easier to heal, correct, admonish somebody else than ourselves. But this refreshing dew that brings an anticipation of growth is what our unity is together in Christ. It moves us. To a place where we can look at one another and know God is doing something. And that's people who are within and people who seem to be without. That God is working in everyone's life in some form or fashion. And so we should always be anticipating what is God doing? Where is he moving? What growth, what refreshment can I receive? And can I give in this relationship? so our relationship and unity that causes us to say it is good and pleasant to be together is sacredness it is refreshment it is growth and it is abundant now when we see this oil that's talked about being poured on to the head we notice that oil doesn't just stay on the head that oil pours down onto the beard now when I first got here I had a pretty big beard and it can get pretty big and I'll let you know that things to go through that beard it makes it very difficult especially if it's something like oil then it would take a little bit to go through so if it was just a dab of oil just a little bit of oil it's going to just get stuck right there but what we see saying being said here is that the oil comes down it pours through the beard onto the collar of the robe what a graphic picture of the abundance that God brings to us. It's as if it just gets washed over us. It's taking a liter can of oil and pouring it, olive oil, just all over the head and it is drenching down. And Aaron's going, my robe is ruined. No. (laughs) The dew is not just that little dew that quickly fades away, that when the sun just sort of breaks through, it goes, and it's gone vaporized. No, it's dew that causes rushing streams and rushing waters to take parched dry land, to soak it up and bring new life. It is abundance. How good and pleasant is it when brothers dwell in unity. When we are together centered on what God has called us to be, it is where we receive the blessing of abundance. What does David call it here? For this is where the Lord has commanded the blessing. What's the blessing? Life everlasting. Life forevermore. Where we discover what eternal life is going to be is in fact that it is already happening in unity, in community. All right, I'll let you shake that off just a little bit because that can be a little nerve wracking to think about. Wait a minute here. You mean this is going to be what heaven's like? (laughs) This is what life evermore is like? No. Maybe. But what we do know is that it is in this place that God gives abundantly to us. That it is here that it is within the unity that God provides within his body that we begin to discover all of his blessings and we begin to discover all of the transformation and all of the change and all of the righteousness that he has given us. Look, we could always be by ourselves and we would be great Christians. That's not the case. Our minds would wonder and think of evil things. But we think, well, if it weren't for people, I'd be an okay Christian. The reality is, is I need you to make me a better Christian. And not a better Christian. That's a wrong word. It really is to make me a true Christian. Someone who is gathered into unity by God. Do you like the movie Castaway? Some people like it, some people don't. It can get kind of tedious watching Tom Hanks get bleached out and lose weight, fight against the elements, not talk to anybody. Well, that's not true. He does talk to somebody. He talks to Wilson. Forms this deep, abiding, loving, knowing, understanding relationship with Wilson. How many of you cried when Wilson fell off the makeshift raft and went away? as Tom Hanks' character cried out, well, it's okay, acknowledge it. Man, it's all right. Why do we do that? Well, it's because deep down we know we have this desire to be together. Deep down we know that we have this need to be with and for somebody and to have somebody with and for us. We hear the words how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity and... rings in our heart and causes us to long for it. And we go, how does that happen? I I know I fall short all the time in that, in my pursuit of other people, in my desire to be with them. It's very easy for me to turn them aside. It's very easy for me to marginalize them in my head and in my heart. In John 17, Jesus prayed his high priestly prayer. Well, actually, he didn't pray it in John 17. That's where we find it. prayed it in the garden. <laughs> he says this, I do not ask, in verse 20, for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their words, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. We hear that prayer from Jesus. And Jesus' prayers are not going to get unanswered. And the way that Christ is for us, to enable us to move to a place of for we see in Ephesians 2, where it says that on the cross, Jesus put to death all hostility. That on the cross, Jesus put to death all hostility. There is nothing that should ever separate us, because on the cross, Jesus put to death all hostility. So when he prays for unity, when he says, Lord, let them be like us he accomplished that in his death and in his burial and his resurrection. Through his death, we are broken from the chains of hostility. And from his resurrection, we are empowered to live in unity for one another. Yes, we will have disagreements. Yes, there will be times where you get on my nerves and I get on your nerves. Yes, there will be moments where we irritate one another. But, if we pursue we will pursue one another with abundant abandon. We will look at each other and those around us, those that come into our life circle, and even those who are far off, we will look at them as somebody we should be in unity with. Not because of anything they've done, and not because of anything we've done, but because of what Jesus The longing of our heart is to be attached. The longing of our heart is to be in community and unity with one another and with God. And so if you're here and you're struggling and you're trying to decide if this is real, let me tell you, the best way to learn if this is real is to live with those who are following Jesus. To walk with them. To be in unity with them. To see how they live. To watch when they make mistakes and they repent. To watch when they... Surround somebody in need and care for them. To watch and live and work with them. And for those of us who are blessed enough to have been captured by God, we should always be for each other. Like I said, we're going to preach more about that in a few weeks. But this sermon gives us a good foundation. Let us never forget that the unity that God calls us to is his sacred gift to us. That it brings an anticipation of growth and newness and refreshing. And that it is abundant. It is more than we could ever imagine. And it's done through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, you are good and mighty and holy to us. We praise you. We thank you for making a way. We needed you to make the way. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Would you please stand as we...